This is a story that my mother and aunts told me when I was in high school. I am 21 now and it has never left me. I think about it constantly and ponder over what happened. My grandfather passed close to a year ago in June of 2020. He was 96 when he died and it caused some issues in my family. They don't really pertain to the story, but there are some things about him that I have to share in order to explain the story in the best way. My grandfather, John, was a man who was extremely old-fashioned. He was bitter, abusive, and a complete macho man. My mother was raised on never showing emotion or pain due to his abuse and lack of compassion for others. He was also an extreme racist. He had many secrets in my family that are now coming to light after his death. Everything that happened around him was brushed off and forgotten because he had more important things to do, like drinking and having affairs. Just an overall intense and very no-nonsense type of man. He also was not religious at all and found things like faith and hope stupid. This story takes place sometime in the 70s, most likely early to mid-70s. My mom was born in 1965 and remembers this story clearly. It was one summer day and John decided to take his family on a small outing with the intent to have a picnic in the woods. My mother, her three sisters, and her mother slash my grandmother were all there and very excited about this. Where we are from, my family is more accustomed to the woods and has lived in this area for generations. Going into the woods for a fun family activity was nothing out of the ordinary and seemed to be just another normal day. They made their way down a dirt backwoods road and stopped once they found a clearing large enough to accommodate them. As all the kids started jumping out of the car and messing around as kids do, my grandmother began unloading their food and picnic supplies. John began surveying the area and decided where to set up. As he was doing that, Something in the woods past the clearing caught his eye. Before going to see what was out there, he yelled to the family and said he would be right back. The kids and my grandmother thought nothing much of this, since they were all used to the woods and these woods in particular were very familiar to them. They continued unloading and setting up the stuff they brought and one of the girls pointed out something in the clearing that caused a sudden shift from a normal day to something far worse. It was a dirt mound that looked like something was buried under it. This mound was about the size of a small person, maybe even child-sized. It was too big to simply be any animal in these woods. There was nothing but squirrels and raccoons in the area. Scattered amongst the mound 
were larger river rocks. There was no pattern, but they were definitely placed on the mound intentionally. Also, the dirt seemed to be fresh, as though just buried. It was loose and slightly darker than the area around it. The mood immediately shifted from an average day in the woods to something much darker. My grandmother became concerned and told the girls to stay away from it. She was clearly upset and worried about it, but did her best to ignore it. The girls, all being children, didn't have the same amount of worry and continued playing while just avoiding the mound. They tried to return to their picnic and the girls were already chasing each other in circles again. It was supposed to be a joyous, sunny day, and my grandmother wanted it to stay that way. Things seemed to return to normal for a beat. The trees around them created a wall of dense foliage, blocking their view from anything inside the forest. One of the girls again took notice of something strange. It was clear immediately what it was. Along one of the long branches of the tree hung a noose. It was tied with rope and hung high above their heads. A lump of dirt can be explained away by nature, but someone had to have placed a noose there. My grandmother stopped dead in her tracks when she first saw it. Something was wrong. Very, very wrong. They couldn't just pack up and leave. John was still out in the woods. Even children can recognize a noose as a symbol of death. The children started to become very anxious. Whatever innocence was keeping them from worrying about the mound had completely vanished. My grandmother, the resilient woman she is, soothed her children and just told them that it was left by deer hunters she knew in her heart they needed to leave. No deer hunter would hang a deer and then bury it. At least no sane deer hunter. It wasn't until they all started hearing something in the woods when they began to really panic. My grandmother as well as all the children began hearing a rhythmic chanting from deep in the woods sounded as though there were a group of people all singing in deep voices to the beat of a drum. It went in a quick bum-bum-bum pattern. Three steady beats followed by a pause and then it would repeat bum-bum-bum. It sounded far away but immediately fear began to take hold of each of them. They each listened gathered together and as the seconds passed it began to increase in volume bum 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 it was getting not just louder but closer started out as a distant echo soon began to engulf the entire clearing my grandmother was terrified and wanted so desperately to leave but John had yet to return. They waited, fear-ridden as the sound 
began to fill their chest. It felt like they were at a concert as the deep bass began to vibrate in their chest. It was everywhere and constant, as though the sound was being made by the trees themselves, surrounding the family in every direction. Suddenly, the sound of yelling broke through the constant drone of chanting. John's voice was yelling to them from the trees. Go! he yelled. Get in the car! He came running out of the woods, yelling that they needed to leave. They had never seen terror on this man as they had at that moment. He was a man afraid of nothing, unbothered by the world around him. This was the most emotion any of them had ever seen from him. He saw something in those woods. Something that shook his very being to the core. My grandmother began throwing everything back in the car as the kids got in as well. John and my grandmother picked up their things and as quickly as possible threw it all into the car. They had no care for the things they were packing up due to their fear. Food was all over the trunk and items were broken. After everything was tossed in, they both got in the car and drove away. And this is where the main grunt of the story ends. But one fact from this story is what really has caused me to wonder all these years. My grandfather has refused to ever speak of what he saw. He never told any of the children or my grandmother. And every time it was brought up, he quickly rebuffed it and angrily told them not to ever ask again. He never went to the police or told anyone outside of the family. My grandfather is the only person who knows what happened that day. And when I first heard the story, I swore to myself I would ask him one day. And now I can't and regret it greatly. By the time I was in high school, he had moved out of state with other family members. And I mostly lost contact with him outside of the occasional happy birthday calls or letters. This story doesn't have an answer to go with it. When he died, the only thing I was sad about was never knowing what happened that day. We weren't close as I got older. Once I learned of all of the abuse he had caused, I separated myself from him. His death looms over me. and This story still haunts me to this day. My mother and aunts just look back on it as a spooky memory from their childhood. Nothing more than a story to spook the little ones at Thanksgiving with. I am one of the only people in the family who is still curious about what happened. This story piqued my interest more than any others in my family. Which, by the way, this isn't the only strange story from my family. But it is definitely the most strange. I wish I had answers, and I hope you all find this story as fascinating as I do. I would love to hear theories about what was in those woods. Thank you for listening.
It was a Thursday in August of 2002. I was 12 years old and had lived with my mom for the past six years since she and my dad got divorced. Soon after their divorce, my mom met a new man who moved in with us just a few months later. Looking back, I can remember a few times where he'd shown red flag behavior. Like one evening, maybe back in 1999, when me, that's me and my sisters, we shared weekends between our mom and dad, were watching a TV show finale very late. He was drunk and came into the living room and smashed the TV with his bare hands. Back then, TV screens were made of glass, so he cut his hand badly and yelled at us while bleeding. My mom forgave him after he probably came up with a million excuses in the following days. Anyways, in the beginning of 2002, my mom finally decided to have a break in their relationship, and me and her moved into a different apartment a few miles away to get some distance. Me still being a naive kid who thought she could have two dads wasn't very excited about the idea. I already hated seeing my mom and dad split, and now I had to let go of a man I'd gotten used to over a course of all these years? I was still just a kid, and ignored all the signs, and I even remember resenting my mom for leaving him. As I said, my story starts on Thursday, the 8th of August, 2002. I was in school and not feeling very well. I also noticed some type of rash on my hips. So my teacher sent me to the doctor, and the diagnosis was shingles. I can still see the doctor right in front of me, telling me that if the rash gets worse and goes all the way around my hip, I could potentially die. So I went home for the day and was allowed to stay home the next day, Friday the 9th as well. On that Friday morning, my mom woke me up about 20 minutes before she went to work so she could check on me, have a little breakfast with me, and bring me back to bed to make sure I'd rest. After she left, I remember lying in my bed and being relieved that the rash had gotten better overnight when I suddenly heard a noise from the hallway. My room was not connected to the hallway, so I could only see into the adjacent room And since my mom had left only a couple of minutes prior, I assumed it was her and called for her. Mom! Seconds later, my mom's ex-boyfriend appeared in my doorframe, asking me what I was doing home and why I wasn't in school. After I told him that I was sick and had shingles, he immediately said to me how much he missed us and mom and how sorry he is for not being there, and that he would love to talk to my mom and make things right. Since I was still unhappy about their breakup, I said stupid shit like, I missed him too and I wanted them to get back together. I can't believe I seriously believed that at some point. There are a few minutes of small talk and him pretending to care about my well-being. He made me promise to not tell my mom that he had came by before he left. 
I obviously told her the minute she came home, because I couldn't keep secrets from her, and I also just wanted her to know. And again, me being a stupid 12-year-old did not even question how he entered the apartment without a key and without someone opening the door for him. I never in a million years would have thought that this might be illegal or inappropriate behavior. I mean, I knew the man, and he had lived with us for a number of years now. The same day, just a few hours later, my dad drove me to my grandma's, as I had planned weeks ahead to stay the weekend with her, and I already felt much better. My mom was supposed to pick me back up on Sunday, but on that morning, My mom hadn't answered her phone for about 12 hours, which was unusual. A friend of the family picked me up, drove me home, and still, no news from my mom. Since there's a rule in my country that a person has to be missing for 24 hours before breaking the door to the apartment, and she had only been missing since Saturday evening, the police was only allowed to open the apartment on Sunday evening and when that happened my sisters, my dad and I all went inside I grabbed all of my school supplies and went to the bathroom after exiting the bathroom I found my mom's dental prosthesis on a counter in the hallway not realizing it could be potential evidence I picked it up and brought it into the kitchen where my dad was sitting with a police officer. My dad later told me that as soon as he saw the prosthesis, he knew something had happened. My mom had her teeth fixed just a few months prior and would not leave the house without it. After picking up our stuff from the apartment, my dad drove us back to his house and we waited. It was Monday morning and there was still no message from mom. We did not go to school that Monday, but planned on returning the next day. Tuesday morning, I woke up on my own even though my dad had said he would wake us up and take us to school. I was about to go downstairs when I saw the village priest leaving our house. Police had found my mother the night before. On Monday evening, one of my mom's neighbors went upstairs to do laundry in the attic when he noticed one of the doors being locked. No resident from the apartment building had a key to this specific room, so they had to call the landlord to open the door. I try not to think about what they discovered since it was the middle of the summer and my mom had been dead for around 48 hours. My mom was murdered by her ex-boyfriend after he returned to the apartment on Saturday afternoon to talk. The last person my mom spoke to was my aunt and shortly before they hang up, my mom said, there's someone knocking on the door. It's him again. I gotta hang up, call you later. He gained access to the apartment the same way he did on Friday with a credit card. 
he was arrested only a day later in a bar after telling the bartender that he had done something really stupid. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Eight months later, in April of the following year, my older sister and I had to testify in the murder trial, but before we gave our testimony, our father argued with the court and made sure that we didn't have to face the killer. I remember sitting down in a large, very cold room, my father right by my side, holding my hand, lawyers to my right and to my left, as well as the judge right in front of me. I remember being asked about the day he came into our apartment and answering all of the questions as truthfully as I could. They sentenced him to nine years in prison Manslaughter, in effect, was the official cause. Seven of those nine years, he spent behind bars. And as far as I know, he moved back close to our hometown. Close to where it all happened. Over the years, people have told me that I was lucky because he could have also killed me along with my mom if she had still been home that day, and if she had left just a few minutes later, or maybe if she would have ran into him downstairs, or if he had gained entry into the apartment while we were still eating breakfast. There's a lot of ifs and could-haves. I know I won't be able to change the past, but I sure hope I can control my future. So to my mom's ex-boyfriend, the man who does not have a name because he doesn't deserve one. Let's not meet ever again. I absolutely love hearing other people's experiences on this podcast, so I thought I would share one of my own. I regularly visit abandoned buildings, so I've had quite a few experiences, but this was my first notable one. I was at a farmhouse that had been abandoned since the late 60s, although it appeared more like a time capsule from the 1920s with the things left inside. This farmhouse was quite literally in the middle of nowhere, nothing but hills and fields as far as you could see. The inside of the house was fully boarded, and so it was pitch black inside. On entering the house, there was an instant feeling of being watched, but maybe that was just because it was so dark and it instantly gave off that creepy vibe. I had forgotten to grab my torch from the car, due to my excitement of finding the house. And so me and my boyfriend were using our phone torches to look around. And once we scoped the whole place out, we decided to start taking pictures. We were in one of the upstairs bedroom at this time. And as soon as I mentioned taking a picture, we both heard a noise directly behind us, as if a chair had been scraped across the floor. 
both looked at each other thinking that the other person had accidentally kicked something. But of course, neither of us had. There was a stool in the room at the time, which I then scraped across the floor out of curiosity, and the noise was pretty much the same. Either way, I dismissed this. Old houses do make noises, albeit nothing quite like something scraping across the floor. We continued to go ahead to take some pictures. The first picture my boyfriend went to take was of a photograph, likely of the previous owners. The photo was an old black and white one. You know, the ones where they never smiled, naturally, just to add to the creepy allure. As he went to take the photo, his phone literally shut off. He had never had trouble with his phone prior to this, but it literally shut down at the exact moment he went to take a picture. And at this point, I started to panic a little bit. And with my phone now being the only source of light, I thought it best that we leave whilst he tried to fix his phone. As we were standing outside, I felt very unwelcome. I was also panicking as my boyfriend's phone was now not responding to anything. And we didn't have much money at the time, so there was no way we could have afforded a new phone. It was at this point that I decided to talk to any potential spirits that may be around. I explained the circumstance of us not being able to afford a new phone. Which is hilarious now I think about it. And I apologized if they felt that we invaded their privacy. I then asked if they could fix the phone. After about 10 minutes of trying to fix the phone, as soon as I asked them to fix it, the phone immediately came back on. After this, we did decide to go back inside. This time around, being inside felt completely different. I felt almost welcomed this time, but only to explore downstairs. When I looked upstairs, I felt sure that there was someone looking down at me, almost as if they were being sure I would not return upstairs. This could all be a series of very freaky coincidences. Or maybe there were previous owners still there who were very protective of their home. This place has become more popular in recent years. And many of the personal items of value in their home have been stolen. So it would explain why they wouldn't welcome visitors. I would be interested to hear your thoughts about this. My dad and I lived together in our own multifamily home in Germany. My dad has a serious lung condition. His lungs produce and trap an excessive amount of mucus. The trapped amount is huge and keeps his lungs from working correctly. It's pretty normal that he has to be picked up by an ambulance every two to three weeks because he can't breathe anymore. So, last week was that time of the month. He couldn't breathe and I had to call the ambulance. He was brought to the closest hospital 
and this whole thing was pretty normal for me because this happened at least 10 times in the last six months. So I went to bed after he got picked up. and This was on a Tuesday. I went to work the next morning and got a text from him saying that he had to stay for at least two more days, approximately Friday. Wednesday evening, I got home from work and played a match of Rogue Company when someone suddenly rang the doorbell. That's unusual because we never have unannounced visitors. I walked to the door and was about to press the door buzzer to open the main door when I heard, I believe, more than one voice directly in front of my door. So that someone just got past the main door. Weird. I asked in German, Hello, who's there? There was silence for about three seconds. Then a person who sounds like my father, but at the same time doesn't sound like my father, answers. Misha, it's me. I forgot my keys. Open the door. I thought, okay, in that case, wait a minute. My dad never calls me Misha. Only Mishi. And there was that sarcastic tone in his voice. I didn't trust the situation. I called my father on his phone. If the person in front of my door was my father, his phone should ring, right? Well, it didn't. My father answered, and as I suspected, he was still in the hospital. Meanwhile, the two persons on the other side of the door heard my phone call and started kicking the door. Let me in, Misha. It's your daddy. Let me in. Thank God that door is reinforced. After I threatened them with calling the police and having a big-ass knife in my hand, they left. I heard their footsteps running down the staircase. I rushed to a window facing the street to check if I can see a car or a license plate. And there was nothing, just a few footsteps in the distance. They never came back. What's weird is that they knew my name and that my father wasn't home, despite his car still sitting in the driveway. Shit was hitting the fan when a buddy of mine reported something similar. We called the police, and now there's an investigation in progress. About 20 years ago, my best friend at the time and his wife had her father, Felix, living with them. They were his caretakers. They pretty much did everything for him, and that included cleaning him every morning because of his incontinence and difficulty holding his bowels. They really did a great job and deserved my compliments several times. One day, my friend Mike went into Felix's room when he would normally be awakening, only to find him in full rigor mortis. Felix had sadly passed away sometime in the night. I was employed at the time as a cemetery pre-need salesman 
but also could arrange at-need services. And so I did. I helped them prepare Felix's final resting location and waived my commission as I didn't feel right charging it to these individuals who had done so much to make Felix's last years comfortable. About a week later, we held the service, at which I officiated, and it was well attended and we gave Felix the send-off he deserved. I rode home in the limo, provided for the family by the funeral home, and we all sat around for a while just decompressing and taking a well-needed break. The wife, Mary, then noticed that there was a message on their answering machine. She pressed a play button and the timestamp that the machine read was oddly the identical time as when we had the graveside service for Felix. It was recorded at 11 a.m. The graveside service was at 11 a.m. We thought at first it was someone who might have missed a service, calling to wish condolences. When the recording started, every jaw in the room suddenly dropped, and an honest-to-goodness chill filled the room. There were five of us present, Mike and Mary, myself, my brother James, and a friend of theirs from across the street whose name I did not know. The background noise was the first thing we heard, and it sounded like someone was in a room with a large group of people. Then, Felix spoke. The voice on the recording was clearly and unmistakably Felix. Please do not follow me, was what he said, and then the recording stopped. We had what seemed like a recently deceased parent calling during his own funeral service, begging us to please not follow him. Don't follow him to death? Not possible. Don't follow his life choices? He had many bad ones, including a brief stint in prison for a relatively minor offense. Here's the one that his daughter thought was his intent. Don't follow me into hell. She believed until her dying day that her father had made contact one last time, telling her to not follow his path and end up where he did once he took that step into the unknown journey called death. To this day, I am 100% certain that that phone call was indeed contact from Felix in the afterlife. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 